Would you stand in the presence of the reading of God's Word? This morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this, and warn them before God, that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by Him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. We are spending this season of Lent dealing with difficulties that grip the soul. We are looking at different experiences in our lives that cause us to stumble and fall as we move through our experience of being human. We find some of these experiences are universal in scope. This morning we want to talk about failure and disgrace. Now none of us really want to be associated or affiliated with failure or disgrace and yet I think if you live long enough you will have that experience in one way or another and if somehow you've avoided so far you may still be living in fear of the time where you stumble and fall when you fail when you feel the sense of embarrassment or humiliation or disgrace but failure and even the feelings of disgrace in and of themselves are not the biggest problem it's not really the experience itself that is the problem because failure really is a state of mind it's how we interpret our experience it's how we think of what has happened and how we should respond where the problem comes when we draw a conclusion that we are a failure or we make a judgment that we cannot go on or we cannot try that again because we have failed there's the real problem our text illustrates this beautifully Paul is writing he has been in prison in prison in fact for his faith and yet he writes so beautifully to this very point he writes about the situation he's in he says he's suffering hardship even to the point of being chained like a criminal certainly he must have had some feelings of failure of being restricted or constricted in terms of his proclamation of the gospel he may have had some feelings of embarrassment or humiliation or shame that he was chained like a criminal as he said if he was shackled we imagine what that would be like in our own lives 
If we found ourselves in the county jail, locked up in a cell, or worse yet, chained, that would be embarrassing, would it not? Or humiliating, we would feel like something had gone terribly wrong, and we had somehow failed. But Paul says, even though he feels like he's being chained like a criminal, that the Word of God is not chained. So we can use that in our own experiences because we all have them. Even though it's not always dramatic as going to jail or going to prison, that's an extreme case. But we have all had the experience where we have said too much to too many people in a negative way and hurt somebody else, maybe somebody that we really cared about. I was with someone not long ago they were going through a divorce. They were telling me about how horrible it was, how terrible it was to be having that experience. They said it was an experience of failure. They felt like they had failed in one of the main portions of their life that they had fallen so far short. Not long ago, I was talking to another person who had lost a job. They were looking for work, but they hadn't found any other work. And they talked about the sense of worthlessness that they were experiencing in not having a job, of not being able to find a job, of not being able to be productive, to use the gifts they felt like they had, to not be able to provide for their family the way they wanted to. Others have had the experiences of starting a business with high hopes, and maybe it even went well at first, but then some things went wrong and the business failed or they had to declare bankruptcy. It is an experience of failure and disgrace. Or maybe from a whole other direction, those of us who have children or grandchildren, sometimes those children make decisions that we don't agree with, that we wish they didn't make. They take steps we wish they had not taken. And if we're not careful, it can lead us to a point where we conclude that we have failed. Have you had those kind of experiences where it didn't work out? the way you wanted it to work out. That it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. It, it didn't match who you thought you were. Oh, I can remember those own experiences in my life. I was going over to the University of Oklahoma after high school. I was doing very well. I was an honor student. Things were moving along, but I began to kind of get burned out, kind of got tired, began to dread going to class, not wanting to do my homework. One thing after another, I called my sister one Sunday night. I remember it so vividly. I began to tell her. And she said, why don't you drop out? And just merely hearing those words, all of a sudden waves of failure and disgrace were flowing over me. Drop out. That's not me. And yet that's exactly where I was in terms of my emotional life. And I did drop out and went back to my hometown. But it wasn't without feelings of embarrassment. Hard to explain to people why you're back. Some sense of humiliation, a sense of failure within. 
Or there was a Sunday years and years ago when I was an associate minister here. Dr. Biggs was the pastor. He was on vacation. He left me in charge. Everything was going swimmingly. A family came forward to baptize their child. I had done baptisms before. I could handle this. I went down, found out the child's name. Her name was Stephanie. I began to go through the ritual. But I don't know what happened. Somewhere in my mind... I began to call her Suzanne. <laughs> this little infant girl, her parents there, her grandparents, aunts and uncles, it's a big moment in their life, and I don't even realize it. I'm calling her Suzanne the whole time I baptize her. They didn't say a word. They were very kind. I got to the end, came back up here, glanced down at my notes, and it's Stephanie. But then it's too late. I had failed them. Oh my gosh. Internally, how embarrassing and humiliating. A sense of failure can grip one so easily. And certainly in that experience, I had failed them. Or I think about when I was 16. Guess what was most important to me when I turned 16? Driving. I got my driver's license. Oh, it was so exciting. I was so proud. I declared to whole, my whole family that I was going to be just like my Uncle Charles. He had a perfect driving record. I said, I'm going to be just like him. And then two weeks later, late one night, somehow the car I was driving plowed into another car. I don't know how it happened. But it was terrible. And the police came. And then the wrecker came, and then my father came. <laughs> and I felt like a failure. By the time we got home, I said to my mom and dad, I quit. I'm never going to drive again. I obviously cannot be trusted behind the wheel of a motor vehicle. I felt like a colossal sense of embarrassment to my parents and a sense of failure within. And that's where we come to the real danger. It is not in the experience itself, but how we interpret it. Once we begin to draw negative conclusions and take a single experience or even a series of experiences and make them a label upon ourselves as failure, where we're interpreting those experiences as something which identify us in totality, we have made a mistake. Whenever we begin to make those kind of negative judgments that we cannot have a positive future, that we cannot go on because we are such a failure, we have made a mistake. Surely that is not what God wants for us or intends for us. The Gospels promise us that God is with us and God can lead us through any and all circumstances. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the ninth verse of our text. He says he's suffering hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. The word of God is going to go on. The word of God has power and freedom. Paul does not conclude because of his adverse circumstances that he should no longer proclaim the gospel, that he should no longer be a follower of Christ. Oh no, he says, I am changed, but God is powerful. The word of God is not changed. 
He does not stop his ministry. He does not cease being a disciple. Even though he is in terrible circumstances, he continues to count on God. He says in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. He's reminding them that he died on a cross. Certainly a symbol of shame to all gathered, looking like the end of everything he had said and done. But it was not the last word. God was alive and at work even in the crucifixion. God is alive and working for good even when we cannot see how that is possible. Even when we cannot see it, God is alive at work. The good news for us is that God is with us. And even though we can't see the future, God can see the future. Even though we don't know how we're going to survive, God is there to surround us, to support us, to lift us up, and to move us ahead. The psalmists declare it over and over that God's love is steadfast and endures forever. God's love is steadfast and endures forever and will see you through any and all circumstances you might find yourself experiencing. God wants to make us perfect in love, but we do not have to be perfect to be in a right relationship with God. See if you recognize this story. There was a little boy who was born into a poor family in the late 1800s. He did not speak at his first birthday. In fact, he wasn't speaking when he reached the age of two nor the age of three. He was four years old before he ever spoke. Everyone could see he was a little bit slow, that he had some issues, that he might have trouble ever amounting to anything in life. But finally, he did speak, and he entered school. He was not a great student, but he continued on. At that point in history, at the age of 16, you had to take a test to go on to further schooling. He took the test, and he failed it. He had to study for a whole another year before he could try again. He took the test again. This time, after further study, he was able to pass. He went on to advanced studies. He was interested in science, so he particularly began to focus on science and studying science. He even got into a doctoral program, got all the way to writing his dissertation, wrote it and turned it in. After they read it, they gave it back to him. They failed him. They said what he had written was irrelevant. That was fanciful thinking. They could not accept such work. He left that program, changed schools, found another school that would let him do further study. He continued to study there and finally did earn his doctorate at that school. He wanted to be a research scientist or a professor, and he began to look for work. No one would hire him. No one would have him. He could not find a job. He ended up in a government job as a patent examiner, but he continued to pursue his interest in science. He did not conclude that he had failed or that he should stop 
he continued on and he came up with this thing he called the theory of relativity. His name was Albert Einstein. One of the greatest geniuses, maybe the smartest per person who's ever lived, they say. And yet if you looked at his life at so many junctions, he could have determined that he was a failure and that he should give up. And he should no longer continue to pursue his interest in the sciences. But oh, what we would have lost if he had not continued, if he had not continued to move ahead. There's a lesson here for all of us that we do not have to be perfect for God to be at work in our lives. We only have to be willing. Lent is a season of self-examination, of introspection. We ask you to slow down enough to look at your life and to listen for God and to make adjustments that might help you be a more faithful follower of Christ. As you're doing that this season, we invite you to look at those places of failure. Those places, perhaps, where you have not done as well as you wanted, but not to stop there, but to offer those to God, believing the promises of the gospel that God can redeem those experiences, that God wants more for you, and in fact, that God has an abundant future in mind for you. Allow God to heal you and make you whole, to set those past experiences aside as certainly experiences you have had but ones from which you can grow further let me challenge you to think about taking a step in faith to think about what it might mean for you to do something to spread the love of god to do something for the cause of christ in the world so that someone else may come to know of god's great love for us paul talks about that here he says he's enduring everything so that others may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is basically saying we have experiences here, but they are temporary. I want you to focus on the eternal. I want you to be empowered by believing that God is doing more than you can see, that God is doing more than you might ask or imagine. And take a step in faith. I'm suggesting you dare to do something great for the cause of Christ. That you open your heart and mind to God's leading. And take a step in faith and witness to the love of God alive in this world. Can you think of an outrageously courageous act of faith that you might try? Something that maybe you've been afraid to try because of past experiences but maybe now is the time to take a step out in faith i thought about what if we would tithe our lives to god now certainly there's a financial tithe where the bible teaches us to give 10 percent of our income but i'm not really thinking about that so much today as tithing your time to god what if you gave 10 percent of every day to the service of God 
That would be 144 minutes, 144 minutes. I was telling somebody else about this, and they said, that's over two hours. I said, yes, it is. But think what God might do if for a couple of hours a day you spent some time in prayer. You spent some time listening for God to speak to you. Oh, it would be plenty of time to do some Bible reading and some prayer. It would be enough time for you to do a good deed for someone else, to serve somebody else. Heck, you would even have time to go to the gym or go outside and exercise and think about your body as the temple of God and how you're taking care of it or failing to do so and take a step in the direction of caring for your body as the temple of God. Oh, there's... Lots of time in 144 minutes where God could grow you spiritually if you were willing to tithe your life to God in that way. But it might be something else. It might be as something as inviting someone to church. Do you know anybody who's struggling in their lives, who's dealing with some kind of difficulty? So many people find themselves isolated when they're really struggling. They withdraw and they really need some support. But so many of them don't have a community of love and support and forgiveness like they would find if they would come here. What if you extended that invitation? What if you made that call? What if you took them a brochure from the church and said, this might be of help? Or we have a grief workshop coming up. That might be of interest to you any number of ways that you might spend a few minutes and invite someone into the life of the church. Or maybe there's something you need to take care of at work. Maybe doing more than just the minimum at work, that would be a big step of faith for some of us. Or maybe it's at home. Maybe you've been neglecting some responsibilities at home and you need to recommit. Take a step in faith, trusting that God can help you move in the right direction. Or maybe somebody has wronged you personally and you've been carrying that for a long time. Maybe it's time you gave that up and forgave the person. What if during this Lenten season you extended the forgiveness that you know that God extends to you to someone else in your life? Oh, there's so many ways we can serve God. We can volunteer here at the church to be a greeter, an usher, help in the nursery, work with the youth, come on a Thursday night, help with compassion dinner, come on Friday night and help with respite care. So many different kind of opportunities. Join a choir, volunteer for a bell choir. Isn't it beautiful when those who have skills, like the four who played the brass instruments today, share those with us? It's so inspiring. Maybe you have a gift you could allow God to use in worship or here in the church. But I assure you, if you take that step in faith, God will be there with you. You can count on God to support you, to inspire you, to empower you. Let us not settle for spiritual mediocrity and lackluster and lazy faith and just doing the minimum. Let us expect more of ourselves. Let us dare to do something great for the cause of Christ. 
Let us take that step knowing that we can trust God to be there with us, to lead us into the future, to direct us, to guide us, to empower us, to share his love, to spread his love with others. Even if we stumble and fall on our first attempt, Paul has said here today that even when we fail in our faith, God is still faithful. I found this prayer that I put in your outline. I had read it before, but it had been years ago. As I read through it this week, I thought, I need to read this more often. I thought it might be a help to you today as well. I'll use it for our closing. It's in your outline. It goes like this. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little when we arrive safely because we have 